Well, hello and welcome to the first podcast from The Plotting Shed for 2020. A belated Happy New Year to everybody. You're listening to Rachel McCarshane and very welcome. It's a lovely day outside at the moment. Not for long though, we've got another storm coming in this evening. Um, But at the moment the sun is shining, the birds are singing and I'm sitting in here recording another podcast. But that's aside, welcome to the new series of The Plotting Shed. First of all, I must apologise. I haven't put as many podcasts on at the end of last year that I was hoping to do, but that's because I was rather busy writing a book, which I've now finished and it's gone to the publishers. So I'm very, very excited. I'll talk about that in a couple of podcasts time when I know what's going on and we're a bit further down the line. But the plan is that there should be a book available in the spring. I've called it, I Want to Like My Garden. Uh, And it's a book about how you can make your garden better. And it's quite unlike any other gardening book you'll see out there. So I will talk about more about that in a few weeks time. But anyway, being away from podcasting gave me time to review and reflect what I really want the Plotting Shed podcast to be about. And the more that I've gardened over the years, and certainly in the last two or three years, the more I've realised that actually my relationship with my garden has changed and what I'm trying to achieve in my garden has also changed. And actually, I think this is something that we all need to look at adopting and changing our attitude to what your garden is there for and what you want your garden to achieve. So the plotting shed was always going to be a slightly different approach to how we garden. So for example, you know, I don't talk about jobs to do in February and in March, and I don't tell you how to prune the roses and how to keep your daily heads upright and all the rest of it, because partly because there's loads of people that that do that anyway. And I want to create a slightly different take on how you garden. For me at the moment with the climate crisis that is clearly upon us, we have changed the world. I think it's very important that as gardeners, we all do our bit within the the spaces that we control to alleviate and mitigate as much as possible some of the negative aspects of human life uh, that we've imposed on nature. So this year, um, there are lots of posts. I mean, they're not all doom and gloom, by the way. This is all about, I'm a very firm believer in finding solutions and looking positively and creating outcomes based on knowledge and information that will make things better. You know, I'm not a, I'm not going to sit there and hold, hold my head in my hands and think, oh, what a mess we've made. It's, okay, we've made a mess. Let's try and make it better now. Because if we can all do those little bits, then we move things forward onwards and upwards, as they say. So there'll be a podcast about how the climate crisis is going to, should change how you think about your garden, how you can garden better, how you can improve your garden, you know, what trends, what fashions should we be following, and also have some sort of fun, fun facts. I've been reading up about, you know, how just how smart bees are, finding out facts about things that I never knew plants could actually do, but they do. I mean, one of the things that absolutely blew my mind is that trees go to sleep at night, which is a bit weird, isn't it? But there you go. So our streetlights are stopping the trees sleeping quite so much. So there'll be lots of podcasts with lots of bits of information over the coming weeks. 
as always if you want to email me please do rachel at plantplots.com you can put a message on our facebook page which is forward slash plantplots you can find all the information and much more on the website which is plantplots.com and then there's the plotting shed blog so you can read anything on the website on the blog or it's also on some other Uh, blog sites like Tumblr and Medium and places like that. So do look out for them. Um, I'm always happy to hear from anybody. So this week, what are we talking about this week? Well, one of the elements of gardening I love is, as we all do, is sitting in the summer and just watching the world go by with a cup of tea. I've got a swing seat on my patio which I've had for many years and I can't tell you how many countless hundreds of hours I've whiled away watching the world go by in the summer from there. And I was thinking, you know, I was watching some butterflies landing on some verbena in the garden and I thought, I wonder what they think of my garden. What do the butterflies think? What do the ladybirds or ladybugs, if you're in America, think of my garden? And then, you know, just maybe if, if they had a vote, whose garden would win, mine or the neighbours? So I'm hoping mine, I have to say. But that got me thinking, you know, if if we changed our viewpoint on what the garden is for, we'd make a much better, you know, we'd have a much better garden. It would be much more interesting to be in. You know, if butterflies could vote, would your garden win? Are, are the insects we all love watching coming and flocking into your backyard and so you can sit and watch them? And And if not, why aren't they doing that? And so that's what this podcast really is just exploring is to the little things and the changes that you can make to allow the wildlife that we love to sit and watch to come into our garden and provide more of a show for your garden. It becomes more of a spectacle. And in doing that, I was reading some interesting facts about butterflies. Um, and there were some really sweet little facts that I, I, I found out about I mean, I was really surprised one of the first things. I mean, just in the United Kingdom, there are 605 different species of butterflies, but there are two and a half thousand species of moths. I just didn't realise that we had that many. And worldwide, there's about 17 and a half thousand species of butterfly. And so a couple of the little interesting facts I, I, I found out were that butterflies actually can hear Apparently scientists never knew, I mean obviously we know that they have a great long proboscis, that they, their big long tongue that they dip into the flowers to drink the nectar, but that actually butterflies can hear. And actually they've also, uh, they know that butterflies eyesight, they're a bit short-sighted, um, they can see up to about 10 to 12 feet away. And I thought, well, well, then no wonder they love coming into gardens then, because we pack all these flowers into a very short space. So from a butterfly's perspective, they can see everything. Everything's all there in front of them. It must be a wonderful place to come. So I must make sure that the flowers I have in my garden, the butterflies love coming too. Otherwise, it'd be a bit disappointing if they could see this great world of colour and flowers in front of them. And then when they landed on them, there's no food. But then there was also that my favourite fact that came up about butterflies was that very often on a rainy day or after it's rained, you see butterflies landing at the edges of puddles. Now, I thought they were just drinking the water, but that's not true. What they're actually doing is they're sucking up the muddy deposits in the puddles because they need the minerals. And where you see a collection of 
butterflies around a puddle doing this and, and drinking the minerals. It's called a puddle club. And I just thought that's brilliant. The puddle club of butterflies. So there we are. Next time you see them, there you are. So you can amaze your friends going, ah, look, there's a puddle club of butterflies. Anyway, the main and most important fact that you need to know about butterflies and how to make butterflies vote for your garden is that butterflies taste with their feet. So when they land on a leaf or they land on a, on a petal, they, they gently drum it with their feet and this makes the plant release certain chemicals which they sense through their feet. So they're tasting it. So they, that's how butterflies and female butterflies know which plant they're landing on, if it's a suitable one for their caterpillars to feed on and so forth. And that got me thinking that over the decades, the horticultural industry and the gardening industry has portrayed gardens in a certain way. I mean, all the, the images we see in magazines and when we go to garden shows or flower shows, the television programmes all portray the plants and show the plants in the garden as being utterly perfect. I mean, you never see a single munch hole on them, do you? Everything is the perfect flower, the perfect leaf. And, and this is the goal every gardener should be looking to achieve in their garden. This is, this is gardening perfection. Look at this. This is the mastery I have over my environment, that there is nothing in my garden that's showing any signs of stress or being eaten. But that's just not real. I mean, that's not, that's not nature. That's not what, what it's all about. But it's, it's built up this sort of mindset amongst modern gardeners and as gardeners now that if we see something chewing the plants that's a problem that pest has invaded the space of my garden and and I can't have that I've got to get rid of it so we have this huge variety of sprays for getting rid of pests and making sure that we can spray against diseases and and not have fungal diseases and, and black spot on our roses we can cover our plants in chemicals to protect them. So what does the butterfly think? You know, this poor thing has flown all the way in and there's this wonderful sort of array of colourful plants that it can, it can land on the nectar and it lands on the leaf. I mean, the leaf's going to taste pretty noxious, isn't it? I mean, it will have a residue of chemicals on it. I'm thinking, no wonder that's going to be very off-putting for butterflies. They're just going to fly on past. You, you do get a garden with perfect plants, with perfectly shaped leaves and, um, you know, and, and perfectly produced flowers. But it's rather a lifeless desert. It, it's, it's just creating almost, you know, it's almost like a shop window. It's not, it's not really real. And the poor old butterfly can't identify anything to eat. Now, we feel that that's fine to some extent because the caterpillars weren't eating my plant. But this is another, again, it's another disconnect that we are getting between us and, and nature. You know, humans have inhabited the planet and we've changed the planet. And we are increasingly disconnected mentally from the world outside. You know, that, that, oh, that's nature. Well, we're part of nature. We are. The planet is one thing. We're not a, an alien species that's landed in. We've evolved here too. So we've got to stop this approach because what it does is it, it parcels up the, the, the natural world into those things that we think is acceptable and those things that we aren't. So for example, butterflies in your garden are desirable and beautiful and we'd all love to have them, but nobody wants the caterpillars. 
but you can't have butterflies without caterpillars. The two are one in the same. It's just the difference between a baby butterfly and an adult butterfly. That's all. So we have to stop this disconnect and we have to, to join everything up and say, okay, if I want butterflies, I'm going to have to accept that we will have caterpillars. And you have to stop then spraying for them. We have to stop coating our gardens with chemicals to protect the plants. Plants are well used to being eaten. Plants get eaten in the natural world all the time. And, and if, if plants, it was such a problem that plants get eat, getting eaten by animals and insects and things, the world would be a lifeless desert. It wouldn't be this green verdant place that we have that, that abounds with life. So plants are used to it. They've evolved to be eaten. They grow back. Now, I accept that if you, having had many years where you are spraying your garden and you're trying to keep it looking nice and perfect, and, that, and that's okay, that if you stop, you're worried that you're going to have a problem in the garden, that you're going to get overrun with pests and you're going to get overrun with diseases and everything else. But what you've got to look at, and, it, it, and the hardest thing to do, I, I accept, is to change your mindset about what the garden is and who it's for. Because the garden, certainly for me now, has become a place where I fill with plants that will attract in life. And then I can enjoy watching that life from the comfort of my patio with a nice cup of tea. It makes it convenient for me to see the world at large albeit in a small space. The more that I can get in, the more interesting my garden is. And over the years, I mean, I stopped spraying in the garden a number of years ago. And yes, for a period of time, I did have aphid infestation on some of my roses. And I did have a few bugs that kind of got out of hand. But I stuck with it because after a couple of seasons, then nature has a very good way of balancing things out. So the plants that got eaten by the bugs, two things happened. First of all, they disappear. those plants, are, I stopped planting them in my garden. If they weren't going to survive, why am I keep trying to buck a trend? You know, I, I don't want to put something in the garden that I've got to constantly cajole and, and monitor in case, because it's so vulnerable. I sat there thinking, no, this is Darwinism, you know, survival of the fittest. Let's have plants in my garden that are quite happy to cope with the odd little munch bite, not something that's going to fall flat on its face each time each time I, I, I put one outside. So the plants that are not adaptable disappeared. The ones that required too much care and attention disappeared. The ones that attracted too many of the, shall we say, the, the pests that we don't want in the garden disappeared. It's just not worth having them. And over a period of time as well, the number of predators increased. Nature restored the balance in my garden. So I haven't had to spray for years. Yes, I have roses. Yes, they have a bit of black spot. So what? They're still a rose. But by not putting chemicals in the garden, I'm stopping the residue being left on the leaves and the petals and the plants the butterflies now can land on my leaf and go, oh yeah, I can work out what that is. And so they stay and they fly around my garden and I can enjoy watching them. So that's the first thing. It's, it, there is a subtle change that you've got to start to work on to change your mind about what your garden is for. 
Your garden will exist a lot longer than you will. It, it probably existed before you were born and it will exist for a lot longer after we all depart this planet too. So we are just stewards. We are just there to be a, a gatekeeper, a caretaker of that's this space for a period of time. During my period of time, my view was that I'm going to try and make my garden as enticing for butterflies and the things I want to watch as possible. As I said, I stopped spraying and I have seen a dramatic increase in the amount of life that, that buzzes around my garden and it's great. But the second thing that I did and the second thing that is a very easy change to make to encourage butterflies into your garden is just look at having a rule of thumb about the types of plants and flowers that you put in there. As a rule of thumb, Choose single flowers over double flowers. Choose more natural looking colours and colour combinations and natural looking petal shapes over the artificial looking ones. And choose simpler flower petal constructs. So make, if the flower is looking simple over those with very complicated petal structures. And if you just apply those three little rules of thumb so single natural and easy simple and begin to buy plants that fit that bill you will find that you are creating a dinner table of nectar for lots of different butterflies and they will come flying into the garden plants for example like sedums and thymes lavenders mints you've also got other flowers like marjoram and asters and scavios and, and also don't forget flowers that release their scent in the evening they're really important as well for the nighttime flying moths that we have so evening primrose and night scented stock you can scatter those liberally around the garden so have these in the garden for the nighttime as well the whole it, it just makes the whole garden experience you have that much better See, they've all got very small little flowers but that butterflies can land on and can feed from. And they're so much nicer than these great big showy blooms that just have colour and, and petals but don't do anything else. So there you go. If you want to get, your, get butterflies voting for your garden, then the best thing you can do this year is make a commitment to try not to spray and to decide that you're going to allow nature to find the balance in your garden and work with nature. Let's not keep imposing on nature our understanding of what a garden should be. I'll be posting next week's episode next Friday. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Rachel at The Plotting Shed. You can find our blog on The Plotting Shed from our website which is plantplots.com forward slash the plotting shed please email me with any comments or suggestions or photographs or anything you'd like to say rachel at plantplots.com you can pop anything on our facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash plantplots and thank you very much for listening i will see you next week